tells us that if you're not happy, you can just change your job and your relationship, start a hobby, have a baby, get a puppy or five. We are constantly facing change in the pursuit of happiness. And yet, deep down, we resist it so much because nobody teaches us how to navigate transitions. I am here to change that. Join me and my guests every week to find the inspiration and actionable steps to dive into your next great chapter. Let's write it together. Welcome, I'm Olga Nadal and you are listening to your next great chapter, the podcast to master life transitions with ease and courage. And today's show is sponsored by Divorce for Love. For those of you new to the show, I am the founder of Divorce for Love, where I educate, inspire and coach those going through possibly one of the most challenging transitions you may face in your life. If you are thinking about divorce or have started the process and are feeling lost, go and watch the masterclass I made for you on the five secrets you must know about divorce. These five secrets can save you a ton of money and sleepless nights. The link is in the notes, so head over there right after today's show. Hello, everybody. This week I have with me Julie Fernandez. I found her through a common interviewer on Instagram and she had these words that really resonated with me. So I'm going to read them to you and then Julie is going to explain her whole story of transformation. Her words I read, my body became my enemy, painful and unsafe to live in. I live most of my life in a disassociated state. By befriending my body, I heal the trauma using breath work, yoga, mindful movement and martial arts. Now, as a somatic trauma coach, I guide people to discover their innate capacity to heal. Julie Fernandez, would you please tell us more about how you got to that wisdom? Yeah, I'm happy to share. Thank you. So the journey was not easy and it wasn't linear, as I'm sure most people will agree with. But my journey started, I think the healing journey started when I first discovered yoga, maybe 15 years ago, but I am a survivor of childhood sexual abuse and I've experienced a lot of domestic violence in my life and just come from a very abusive family. A lot of abuse that I've dealt with personally, but also just been around. And that is actually what led to being disassociated. And that was in order to protect myself. And so I lived most of my life disassociated, not knowing, experiencing a lot of depression and anxiety and eating disorders and just very unhappy. And when I stumbled upon yoga, it was through a friend. She invited me to go through a class and I went with her and I had the most miserable time because I know it's funny, right? And I'm a yoga teacher now, right? But it wasn't fun. Because I felt all of the discomfort that I'd been avoiding in my body. And so for the first time ever, I actually felt my body and just how uncomfortable I was in my body. And luckily for me, and I don't know why I was built this way, but it actually led me to continue the practice because I got curious as to why my yoga practice or my experience with yoga was different than my friend's experience and was different than everyone else's experience in that room because everyone looked like they had a great time and my friend had a great time. And so I stayed very curious and continued to explore that practice of yoga. 
I will say though, because I don't want to make it seem like my first experience with yoga was completely awful because when I left there, I realized that I felt amazing after. And it was because I recognized that I was breathing probably for the first time in my life because I have a tendency to hold my breath as I find very common. And I notice that especially with the clients that I work with now. So that's a very common thing to hold my breath. And I spend most of my life holding my breath or just breathing very shallowly. So my, my path to healing started through yoga and just getting really curious about that. And so I focused on how to be more comfortable in my body and then to just feel less pain. And yoga was really wonderful for that. And I continued to explore that through powerlifting, weightlifting. That was another way to work with my body and understand or find, connect with different parts of my body. Because I didn't feel, I still wasn't feeling my body. Like if a trainer said, feel your lats or something, I'm like, what? How do you even do that? I didn't know that that was possible to feel certain parts of your body. So that became part of my journey. Um, movement, just like intuitive movement and dance was a way to connect with my heart and my soul as well as my body. And then the missing piece, I think for me was, how do I do all of that and also connect with other people? Because I got really comfortable with myself and then I was missing the piece of how do I now connect with other people and how do I get comfortable once again with touch? Because intimacy became very uncomfortable for me, as you can imagine. And so that's when I explored jujitsu which is like the most extreme way to do that, right? But I jumped in and it was so uncomfortable for me to just like have other people's bodies so close to mine and on top of mine and, you know, just so connected. But I recognized the discomfort and my work was to get comfortable with that discomfort, with all of the practices that I've used all of the methods that I've used and continue to use. And that's always my work. It's how do I stay comfortable within the discomfort? So that's kind of like the gist and the recap. <laughs> People can't see us because they'll be listening to the podcast, but we can see each other. And I've spent the last five minutes just nodding my head and going, yes, yes, yes. Because what you just described is something that I have lived through my very own life. And I see with clients as well, especially if you work with trauma survivors of any abuse. And this is something for another conversation, but even people who think that they haven't had any trauma in their lives, I said, eh, that's unlikely. There's big trauma, the big T and the small T, but it's almost like saying, have you ever found a human at, you know, in their thirties or forties or whatever, that doesn't have a single scar? Very unlikely. When it comes to emotions and our psychology, similar thing happens. And when you were talking about, first of all, the disassociation, which I don't know if you'll be able to explain to us a little bit further what that is. When I explain it to people who haven't been through trauma or who have been through trauma, but they haven't healed it. So they're still in that trauma response. They don't understand what living in a disassociated body is. And I tend to explain it like, well, it's almost like you're in a house that is burning. So you need to leave the house. You're not going to stay in that body while there is so much pain and you know, everything is so hot. So intense you leave the body and they go, okay, but how can you do that with your own body and exist in the world? And I said, okay, wait, you know, when you're drunk, 
And you are, again, you're also not in your body, but your body's there. You're sort of operating in this realm, but you are not there. For many people, you know, you're going to blackout sessions and all that. And then when you start feeling your body, when you start getting sober, which is what, again, it happened the same thing to me. It was in a yoga, my first yoga class, which also was horrific, not because I couldn't touch any part of my body, but because I was so in my head. And it was like, this is about, like you said, breathing was another thing I always say. I walked around in my life with a very tight corset. So every time that I breathe, it's like, whoa, 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 what's happening here? I'm taking too much air. <laughs> and then having to use your body and not being able to rely on your mind for an hour and a half. I remember being like, I'm feeling sober and I don't like it. I need to have the hair of the dog. And so we perpetuate that disassociation, being out of our bodies and yet being in this world. Is there another way that you can explain it for people who are still out there and go like, ladies, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> No, because I love that so much. Like if other people were seeing my face, like, I mean, I lit up because I've never heard it described that way. And it's perfect, like burning house and you need to leave mm -hmm. or even the blackout, right? Like what's happening, like when you're drunk and you're blacked out, you don't remember anything, but you're still going. A lot has happened, right? Like I remember those times I've had those moments as I'm sure a lot of us have, but like when you wake up the next day and you're like, what? I did that? I did that? Really? That happened? What? I don't remember that. Like you're completely blacked out, but you kept living life as normal. And the same thing happens with dissociation that you have no memory of what happened. And like, I remember that there was so much grief that I had to heal because I missed so much of life because I wasn't present. And like, I remember reconnecting with an old friend and he was recalling like certain memories. Like, I remember that time we went to Disney World and I'm like, what? We did that? Oh my gosh, I did. Like, it was sad. It really is sad to realize and, and recognize all of the, the parts of life that you miss because of disassociation. And then one thing that I want to say that's really, really important is that we can't be mad at disassociation. Like that was our body's way of protecting us, of keeping us alive, of keeping us safe. And so for me, in my personal experience, like dealing with so much abuse in my life, it was safer for me to leave my body than it was for me to stay in it and feel the abuse as it was happening. So I thank my body and that was part of the healing is thanking my body for everything that it did to keep me safe, to keep me alive. And then we heal by um, recognizing all of those coping mechanisms and uh, like acknowledging them and recognizing which ones are no longer useful, are no longer helpful in this moment because now I'm safe. Now I'm not dealing with the abuse. So it is safe for me to release those coping mechanisms because I don't need them anymore. And, and very often we don't know, okay, when is the time when it's safe? And it's in moments like that when you start feeling your body and yes, it's uncomfortable, but there is not the pain that used to be, but it's almost like our body hasn't caught up with that. I, I keep saying to people, okay, Right now, we're all wearing masks and being paranoid. When are we going to stop doing that? Are we going to get a sign that says, or somebody's going to say, okay, from tomorrow on, no more masks, everything is safe, and everybody's going to be like, okay, good, we're back to normal. It takes a while to start feeling the emotions, getting into your body, being able to breathe and say, okay, I'm safe, I'm safe. Yes, the danger has passed. But until we get to that moment, 
all those emotions are trapped in the body. And that's where I was very attracted to your work because you do somatic work. And I have nothing against traditional therapy, but I think that when you're dealing with trauma, especially childhood trauma, we didn't have the words. We sometimes don't even have the memories, but our body knows. And we think that our memory bank is in our mind. Nobody has found it. Nobody has found which part of the brain stores our memories. Because in my opinion, and in, you know, sort of mystic text, they're not in the mind. They're in the body. And we store them in parts. And then you're in a yoga class. You get into some <laughs> forward bend. And suddenly you start crying. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, did you hurt yourself? And I'm like, no, there is all that grief that is coming out because it was stored in an area of my body that after a few weeks, months of repetition, it's finally saying, okay, it's safe. I can let it go. And that's how we start, you know, healing, releasing. And then we become sort of ground zero. And then that's when we can add the new tools and techniques to help us to move on to the next chapter, into the next chapter, because until we haven't healed that past, there's no future. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, when you were saying about jiu-jitsu, that was another one that I practiced. Because once you get into the, okay, I'm safe to feel in my body, then you go for everything that is movement. <laughs> I've done, for me, two that were very, very difficult. But again, I had to move through the discomfort was jiu-jitsu and tango. Both of them involve man, close contact with a stranger, where because of my past, I had a very difficult time trusting them. And especially in jiu-jitsu, I was doing it with men, so they will literally sit on me and I'll have to try to wiggle out of it. And I remember it wasn't the physical discomfort. It was that panic that came over my body again of, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is not safe. I mean, at points you're getting the choke and everything. But again, it's being able to relieve those situations, especially if you have the preparation, because again, you could throw yourself back into trauma. But if you're doing the healing work and you're understanding, okay, this is safe, this is... And, and I remember once you learn a few techniques and you actually go from, I'm a very tiny woman, but I managed to wiggle out of it. And now I'm sitting on top of you. You start feeling empowered. When I started doing tango and finally I realized like, there is no sensual misconception here. There's just a beautiful connection between two strangers that can dance and then go home. And that's the end of the story. That did so much for my healing then any 1000 therapy sessions because the body was feeling safe and then the mind kind of followed. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I actually, that just reminded me because I tried tango about five years ago and I was so triggered. I left and I never came back. And I, I just remember it. I'm like, whoa, because, and so here's the thing too. It's like, I got partnered up with this much older man and that was what I couldn't handle, where it was like, because that was my experience. These, like, excuse me, but like creepy old men, right? That would look at me in such a, you know, nasty way, oh, you know? And so I uh, <laughs> had to shake that off for a second. But yeah, now I'm actually like really curious to try it. So thank you. I'm going to add that to the list because I want to re-experience that again. But I also want to share about my first time with jujitsu because I wanted to try it about seven years ago. And my friend, he showed me a couple of like choking techniques and I tried them on him. Like I loved it. I was so comfortable with him and I like started choking him. He like tapped. So everything was safe. And as soon as like he tapped, I 
cried. I was so triggered because I think that there was a part of me that was afraid of hurting someone. And that was always my thing too. Like even with my abusers, I was always afraid of telling on them because I didn't want them to suffer. Right? Like that's crazy. So that triggered that in me. But so now fast forward to when I started jujitsu about two years ago, I went in with, he was my best friend at the time. And and then later, you know, he became my boyfriend. So I trusted him fully, 100%, like completely, never trusted anybody this much in my life. And we went through the whole class. Now we were in the last five minutes of class and we were rolling and he was on top of me. And I had a flashback. In that moment, I had a flashback and I went into the fight or flight And in that moment, which was also very odd for me because I'm not usually a runner. I don't take flight. I'm usually a freezer. But in that moment, I wanted to run and I tried to wiggle out of the position and I ended up twisting my knee. So I got injured. And it was the last five minutes of class. I had so much fun the entire time, the rest of the hour, 25 minutes. But in that moment, like I panicked. And I ended up getting injured. And so I wasn't able to return for another eight months. And I always think about that because I felt so safe with him. But in that moment, you can get triggered. And then what happens when we get triggered is we get taken back to a past experience. And we're experiencing it today as though that past experience is happening right now. And our nervous system just doesn't know the difference between then and now. And so what I recognize in that moment that my journey with jujitsu is about recognizing those moments when I'm triggered and coming back to the present and responding in real time with whatever it is that I need to do, whether I'm defending someone else or I'm attacking someone else. But it's really important to come back to the present in that moment. Because I'm telling you, like my journey with jujitsu has just been about how do you not get triggered today? Or what are you going to do when you get triggered? Because you're going to get triggered. So what are you going to do? Yeah, so I have to come prepared. (laughs) Isn't it awesome that some people may think, oh, we're doing it for the, you know, exercise, burning some calories. But for us, it's like, oh no, this is a spiritual practice. It's we're going in there and you have no idea. My body is going in one direction. My mind is going in another. My spirit is like, knock, 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 something. Because that was how I felt during the first tango class. I thought I was going to pass out. I was shaking. I was so sweaty. Yeah. My heart was racing. At the minute that the first man approached me, but interestingly for me, it was the opposite. They were all men and they made me feel safe because my attack was never an old man was always young guys. So then for me, the jujitsu was the super triggering one because I was like, here we go. That's the guy that, you know, just gonna, and I couldn't fight it because to me that was all about fight. Whereas the tango was more about, you know, I could always say, no, I'm passing on to this dance, but it's interesting how our body just goes back. Like you said, it goes back to that moment. And this happens very often when you start a healing journey and people need to hear this because we can get too scared and never want to go back, but your body's going to recreate those situations until you heal them like we said, in a constant free state. And if you have made a commitment to evolve in this lifetime, if you said like, no, it's okay, I'm going to live with this trauma and pass it to my children and then pass it to my next lifetime, fantastic. You will not be triggered. You will not have to deal with any of this. But if you have chosen, no, this ends with me. My children are not going to suffer this for the rest of my life. It's not happening. Then 
you're going to have those situations. So even if you say, look, ladies, you are not jobs. I will not do jujitsu. I will not do tango. <laughs> Another one that for me is super triggering is surfing. But the minute that I step into a new experience and it triggers me, I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Like I have to dive in. I yes, have to go the other day out. we were playing tennis and trying golf and I'm like, this doesn't do anything for me. Like it doesn't challenge me in any way. It doesn't relax me. It's just like, nah, whatever. But when I feel something in my bones that goes, ooh, there is information here, then I go for it. Because if I volunteer to go for it, I have some resemblance of control of choice. But you do. That's powerful. That's empowerment there. Like you're taking control. Exactly. And for people who come through trauma, that is very important. And I don't know through your own experience, I will not put words in your mouth, but I can tell you from my experience, I'm a control freak. Because once you've lived in an environment that was so unstable, you want to predict everything. So then when you go like, okay, but we're going to do a little bit of inner work that you don't know what the hell is going to come out. That's very unstable. You know, that feels like, well, I don't want to go there. So being able to say, well, but I get to choose. Like, okay, I'm feeling that maybe I had an alteration before jujitsu. I'm going to skip it today. I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm not a martyr of any sort. But it's interesting that our body and almost our environment will put us in those situations to say, okay, we're moving to the next level. Um, how are you finding working with clients who may not have all this awareness, but they come to you and they say, look, I want to get past my trauma, my experience and move on to my next chapter. Do you have a couple of tips for people who may be listening to us and going, hmm, I think that there is something there, but I don't even know where to get started. And they don't want to go for jujitsu or tango. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, with anyone that I work with, I mean, we first have to start with their nervous system. Like, are they regulated or not regulated? Are they stuck in a survival or stress response? Or are they pretty calm? And most likely they're stuck in a stress response or a trauma response, which actually show up very similarly. And so the first thing that we do is work with the nervous system to regulate it and to get familiar with the patterns in our nervous system. So Again, then this goes back to like the breath. So the breath is a direct doorway to the nervous system. So like what I was saying, I hold my breath. That's what I do. Other really common thing is to shout, like breathe shallowly or breathe very fast, right? And so we work to regulate that first to change the pattern. And that also helps to communicate with the body that it's safe, that we are safe in this moment because if we are breathing slow, long, deep breaths, that is a sign that we are safe because if we were not safe, we'd be breathing really fast and shallow. So by just slowing down the breath a bit and by deepening it, we're already changing our physiology. We're also communicating to the body, to our brain that we are safe in this moment. So I always start there. And usually once the body feels the sense of safety, it starts to communicate more and it starts to tell us where we might be storing some unnecessary stuff, some traumatic energy or stressful energy. So whether it's like really common, it's usually in the shoulders or our lower back or our hips. And so we start to recognize those. And then my work with them is to help move that out. So that's when we use different somatic practices. And I do incorporate a lot of like yoga and like dance, like creative movement, some like jujitsu or self-defense work is really helpful. 
also a lot of like strength-based exercises. So really cool, like weight stuff. Like I just like to have fun. I also, I think that's important too, is incorporating fun and play into the work that we do because guess what? Like if we don't feel safe, we're not going to play, right? If you actually watch animals in the wild, like the young, they play when it's safe. If it's not safe, they're out in hiding or they're attacking or hunting or whatever it is that they need to do. But when the babies, the animals are playing, that's how you know, like the area is safe and we do the same thing. So if we start playing more, we start to send that same message to our brain and our nervous system that we're safe in this moment. So every opportunity that I get personally, I play and I like to incorporate play into sessions with clients as well. I've never found research or literature to back this up, but what I personally have found is that for people who were traumatized as children, it robbed us of our chance to play because then you were moved into this tunnel vision, this PTSD sort of a state where play wasn't safe, play was the opportunity for a predator to attack you. So we even again, even if people saw us playing with our dolls or whatever, we were like super hyper vigilant and we couldn't really do the play that children do. So if the trauma happened as a child, if the trauma happened later on, if you're a woman in her 30s who's in an abusive relationship, who got raped on the street, whatever, it's a different story. But I feel that for people who were traumatized at a very early age, play, it's a way to, again, reclaim your power. And it's a way to heal your inner child, which is, is sort of the foundation of where we are right now. It's, you cannot create this poised, calm, able to cope with any stress grown up if the child inside is still got like, oh my gosh, am I ro you know, rocking on a chair every time my sound is too loud, somebody raises their voice. So I think that again, giving us permission, which is also so bizarre as a grown up to play, we're not allowed to play again. If you say, oh, I'm a grown up and I'm just literally gonna roll on the sand with my children, people will look at you like, what are you doing? But we need to get into those places. We need to get our hands, our feet dirty, and play as a kid. And that's where I see that a lot of women and my experience, my personal experience was I had children and that was my big wake up call to, okay, I need to heal. And they facilitated a lot of it with their own play. And I just mm -hmm. lowered to the level and I was like, white in sand? Okay, let's give this a try. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I actually swallow it, but you know, so you get to play with them. And then the other thing that I did was I moved to an island, to Maui, which is a big playground, which it's hard to get any job done there because you're just <laughs> like, I just want to play. So I fully reconnected with my inner child. I said, it's safe. Look how safe it is that we are going to play. And there is Yeah, I love that. I love that. I actually was just having this conversation with a friend of mine because she has two young kids and she grew up not playing. She didn't play when she was little. And now her kids want to play with her and she doesn't know how. And she was even having that conversation with her mom. Like, mom, you never played with me. I don't know how to play. I don't know how to play with my kids. Like she feels so uncomfortable playing with her kids. And so that's the work that she's doing right now is learning how to play with her kids. And oh just, my like, learning how to play at all, like in general. That resonates so much with me because this is something that as a kid I would do to, you know, get affection and attention and, you know, to be safe. 
it's I will literally study encyclopedias. That was how I will wow. literally like I will just memorize all this useless data so that my parents will be very proud of me and I will just be reading their books. I didn't play there. It was like, you know, yeah, I'll have a doll just to let people know that I was normal, but it was all about just and being productive, like getting you know, my studies was my obsession. That's why you see a lot of workaholics and people, you know, mm -hmm. higher achievers. They're just traumatized children that didn't get a chance to play. Not everybody, but you know, there is some thing there. So I remember when I had my children, it was all about, okay, children, today we're going to build a little house and tomorrow we're going to draw something within the lines. It was all about productivity. And if it was something like, no, we're just going to throw blocks around the room. That's what we're doing. I was like, what is going on here? This is no fun for me. For me to just go like, okay, so this is what we do. We throw the teddy bear across the room and you run and grab it. Oh God, let's give it a try. And then just forcing myself once again to be like, let's get into that spirit. That was like, okay, that's play. But for me, again, it was a challenge. It was like, children, we have things to do, things to learn. And then actually just being a kid with them has been, again, it has released so much from my body. That's when I think that then the mind can follow. Yeah, that all makes so much sense. Julie, we only have a few more minutes, but oh my goodness, this has been so fascinating. I want to ask you before we go, you know that we have the two questions about your next great chapter, but I don't know if somebody in our audience is listening today and saying, hey, I know that I have that trauma. Sometimes you don't have the memories. Like we said, this association as a kid, you were not there. It's like it never mm -hmm. happened. But you know that something is there and you know through your current behaviors that you overreact, you overtrigger, that some things are like, I just can't cope with them. If somebody's listening to us and saying, okay, yes, I'm going to start working on my breath and I'm going to start working on presence. Is there anything else that you could guide somebody, even if it's your resources, something that first step, because I think that sometimes once we start the journey, it's easier, but it's taking that first step, not knowing what we have to do. Yeah, it was somebody not knowing. I mean, the, you know, the first thing that came to mind when you said that it really is about reconnecting to ourselves and like reconnecting to our intuition. And so anything that helps you to reconnect to your soul, to your heart, I would start there because that also will bring in all other practices like self-care and that's going to strengthen or even like start the relationship to self-love or your journey to self-love, which will lead to healing. So for me, if like somebody doesn't know yet what the specific thing is, I would start there with being kind to yourself and self-care practices. And then, you know, once you start to understand or know yourself better, you'll get more answers. I don't know if that's helpful you know, you'll maybe start to recognize like, oh, maybe yoga would be nice or my body's feeling this way and maybe I want to go surfing or maybe I want to do jujitsu or maybe I want to just lay down. You know, the body will start to let us know. But if you're not connected to yourself, you won't hear it. So I really truly believe that that's the start. And it made complete sense for me when you said you will get the answers. I know that for people who haven't even started the journey, they're like, uh, I don't think that's how it works. That's how it works. You yeah. will get the answers after. It's just that you, do. If you haven't even opened the book. You don't know what's in that book. And when we say reconnect with yourself and connect with your intuition, 
I don't want you guys to think that we're just talking about meditation, mantras, no. and chanting in a cave, okay? We're talking about listen to your own voice. And we start by making choices like that, like, what does my body want to do? And so often, the first thing that will come is society's voice of, it's not what your body wants to do, it's what you need to do. It's a Monday, it's 9 a.m., this is what we do. Start trying to silence that voice and go like, no, 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 this is the voice that Olga or Julie, what do I want to do? And start really paying attention to that because once you start connecting with your intuition, you have a GPS. You, yeah. You're not going through life going like, oh, yeah, I think that I'll go right over here and see where it takes me. You have guidance. You have yeah. direct line to your soul and your spirit and what your purpose in life is. And so, yeah, I love that first step. And it starts really basic too. Like, you know, I'm even thinking about like for me, I didn't even listen to the signals when my body needed to use the bathroom or when I needed to eat or drink water. So it starts with that. Like these pants are too tight or these shoes are too tight. Like it starts with that. Like honestly, like really listen because your body tells you when it's comfortable and when it's not comfortable. So get to know yourself. Listen to that voice. Start trusting yourself again. Another add-on to that is your body is talking to you, your spirit, your soul, whatever you want to call it. And if you don't listen, the whispers will turn into a little bit more of a loud yes. voice and it will eventually be screams, which is when the body says, no, I'm not doing this anymore. And then we may end up with diseases, with handicaps, with whatever it is that our body is like, would you pay attention to me now? So let's, let's just make it easy on everybody and just go, okay, buddy, I hear you. And again, even if it's hard at first, just make a commitment every day to just be like, set a reminder. What am I feeling? How am I feeling? Every time you get triggered, be present. Instead of going mm-hmm. into reactionary mode of, you upset me, just be like, wait a minute, why did this upset me? And, mm-hmm. you know, just start taking the little steps because... I think that both Julie and myself, I will talk for myself and then Julie, you can say yes or no. There is no going back. I mean, having lived the life of disassociation and pain and numbness and just trauma response to, okay, I'm feeling better. And I still say, you know, at times I still do the, you know, quick breathing and I go into my practices and then I come back to my body and I ground and I'm like, okay, this feels safe again. So it's not something that I can, I'm not radiating a halo here, you know, by no means, but there is no going back to what it was before. (laughs) Yeah, no. I mean, well, you have to make the choice though. Like I'm going to commit to my healing and I'm going to commit to this work or not. You know, if not, then you're going to stay stuck in those cycles and keep repeating those trauma responses all the time. But if you start to become present when you're triggered, you're already breaking the cycle. You're already doing it differently. But it does take commitment and it is a practice. It takes commitment and for the mamas out there and the dads, if you are out there, (laughs) for me, it helped that I wasn't able to commit to my own healing for the longest time, but I was able to commit for my children's healing. And when I started seeing behaviors that were replicated and that I hated as a child being treated that way, and I remember my daughter being so young, I mean, I don't even know, she must have been like two years old when they start talking or whatever. And at one point she said something about okay, mom, you're going to give me a punishment. And I was like, what is a punishment? Like, I'm not punching you. What's going on? And she meant punishment. Because it's true. That was my 
old way of raising children. You don't do what I want. There's a punishment. And I went back like, oh my God, I hated that about my parents. It's created so much problems. What am I doing? I'm doing the same thing to my daughter. And that was one of those moments. I was like, okay, lady, let's find another way. So even if you feel that for your own life, you're like, I'm good. You know, just think about your children. We only want to give them the best. Okay. And giving them the best is doing our inner work to heal and be better versions of ourselves. So, oh my God, Julie, this has been so amazing. But you know that I have two questions that I ask all my guests. So the first one is, where do you see your next great chapter in your own life? Yeah, I mean, this one is hard because the thing is, it's like the life that I have now, I could have never imagined it a year ago, five years ago. Like I would have never imagined to be living this life. So this one's really hard, but I do know that I am committed to the work that I'm doing and specifically I feel more drawn to living my purpose of helping heal the female ancestral trauma, the lineage that we carry. And so that is my commitment moving forward. I'm trying to figure out how to do that specifically. I am cooking up a few things. I'm really excited about that, but that, you know, and then I'll continue to keep teaching because that is my passion. I want to continue teaching about this work and really just helping people heal. So I think that's always going to be a part of my chapter, but I'm opening it up to healing the family lineage is my next big chapter. So well, you're um, giving me goosebumps every time that you say <laughs> that healing the family lineage. It's like, so please yeah. make it happen. Would you share with us a couple of the things or a ways that people can connect with you or the projects that you have coming out that we can. Yeah. So, well, my website, metahealingart.com, you can check that out. You can connect with me through there. I'm also on Instagram at jewels underscore meta. You can connect with me through there uh, where I will be sharing different workshops and trainings that I have coming up. I do have a training that I'm teaching. I also work with an organization. It's a nonprofit. We teach yoga to survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. And I'm leading a training in October for them as well. So that's the thing that's on the calendar for certain right now. I haven't secured any dates for any of the any of the other stuff, but if you follow me on Instagram and even on my website, probably Instagram first, because I'm really bad at updating my website. But through Instagram, I'll keep everybody updated on what's next for me and what I'm doing. Is everything happening virtually or you're doing something in person? It is virtual for now. Yes. Perfect. So we can all take part of it. Everybody, yeah, you can be anywhere and then take part of it. Sweet. Well, definitely really exciting things coming up. So looking forward to it. And I'm going to put everything on the show notes so you guys can find her handle for Instagram and her website. And for our very last grand finale question. (laughs) Yes. Bring out your magic ball. Where do you see the next great, let me emphasize, great chapter for the world? (laughs) So I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. And I honestly believe that it's going to get worse before it gets better. Because what's happening right now is all of our wounds are being exposed. But just like with ourselves, we have to expose our wounds to heal it. We have to feel it to heal it. So it's going to be painful, right? It's going to be painful, but we can only do the best that we can and be the best version of ourselves and 
find comfort within the discomfort. So I do believe that things will get better eventually and we'll find peace and harmony and love again. But I think that we're finding all of the messes and all of the stuff that we need to clean up first. And that's where we're at right now, which is really painful and hard to be in. So I know that that's not the best answer because it's not very specific. It's not specific at all, but I can only go with the feeling. And that's, that's really how I live my life is the feeling. And so I do feel like it's going to get worse before it does get better. But I do believe wholeheartedly that it's going to get better. It has to, because now we know too much. I want to stick with that, even though there is the hard part, but you know, I'm like you, you know, we've gone through some things in our life. And then we know that once you get to the other side, you can appreciate even more what's good and beautiful. So I have a similar view of what's going to happen. And I keep saying, it's going to be fun when we get to 2025 and we look back <laughs> and we go, oh, we thought that 2020 was bad. Mm, but but <laughs> yeah. then we'll get to that point where then it will be really, really good. And the way that I'm seeing everything that's happening with the world is we're going through the birth of a new world. So yeah. Childbirth. But with every birth, there's oh. an ending. Oh, ain't right? pretty. Ain't pretty. You know, there's yeah. pain, there's contraction, there's expansion. So it's going to be there. Let's just, you know, make sure that I keep saying we have an epidural for that or something. <laughs> yeah, we need, again, it's like, how do you find comfort within the, yeah. this discomfort? So if you need that epidural, take it. Like, yes. that's fine. And continue to be the best version of you. Be kind to one another. Love each other. And we'll get through it. But we have to do it together. We cannot do it alone. I've been saying my epidural has been a lot of the work that I've done. I thought that it was preparing me to coach women through their divorce. No, it's prepared me for this time in our history to be okay with it. Every so often, my epidural will be one or two shots of tequila. But, you know, I know that. Yeah. Hey, for <laughs> those it. times, it's needed, okay? The contraction yes. was a little bit too hard. But, you know, it's good to know that once you learn all these techniques and all these tools, hey, coronavirus can hit and we're still here, you know, enjoying this conversation, learning and being optimistic about the future. So, Julie, I just yes. want to tell you, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for all your time. And thank I hope that everybody you. enjoyed this. And let's stay in touch. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. I had an amazing time. Thank you so much. And to everybody, thank you for listening. And I'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe and review my podcast because I love hearing from you. You can also follow me on Instagram at Divorce for Love and join our Facebook group in the show notes.